1: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co host, Ron Baker. And on today's show, Ron, the million dollar tip using a tip clause.
2: Yep, I've never been called Mr. Retirement Ed, except once in my life. Guy called me <laughs> yeah. Mr. Retirement.
1: All right. Well, we, we, I can't wait to get to that story, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off by driving our friend Greg Lafalette a little crazy because I got a, it's, I got a baseball story for you. Oh, right on. <laughs> he's, he's a, he's right, like, Greg. No, I'm turning it off right now. Tur-
2: turn Greg's, off your radio. <laughs>
1: stay with us. It's relevant. Stay with it. It's relevant. Very relevant. So in in 1960 the pittsburgh pirates my my uh, mother-in-law a huge pittsburgh pirate fan in fact has a scorecard that she was at a game in 1960 that she scored herself mm-hmm. uh, pittsburgh pirates beat the yankees the hated yankees four games to three in a world series very famous event in baseball history bill Mazarowski hits a seventh inning home run walk off the pirates win it's just absolute insanity but this was a crazy world series just absolutely crazy world series the the yankees outscored the pirates over the course of seven games 55-27 55-27 um, and it was it was just a bloodbath in most of the games the the, the game 2 the yankees won 16 to 3 game 3 the yankees won 10 to nothing game 12 the yankees won 12 to nothing but all of the other games were relatively co- close, one, two, and three runs, right? The four games that the Pirates won were not run, won by more than, more than three, three runs. And um, actually two, yeah, three runs, three runs. So game five was five to three. And they win the final one 10 to nine on this Bill Mazeroski home run that is so famous. Now, the left fielder for that team, the ball went over the guy's head who, is, who was in left field. Uh, was is one of my all-time favorite baseball players, managers, coaches and you know that is Yogi Berra. He and, and ended up managing the Mets for years and just just an overall great guy. He only died what about a year ago or so. Um just is and is famous for all of these these great quotes. Well, by the way, Yogi hit in this World Series. He hit 318 uh with a couple of home runs and 8 RBIs, right? Wow. Yeah, no, he did he performed extremely well. And he was asked after this game, so why the how ha- you know, how the hell do you guys lose to the pirates? And in the way that only Yogi Berra could say it, he said the problem was we made the wrong mistakes.
2: It, that is so profound it's not even funny.
1: Yep. Yep, and it, it, and that's and Yogi Berra is profound like that, right? He he really he always had something that there was a second level to what was going on there that made you go, huh? But I think you're right. I think of of the Yogi Berra isms, you know, they have, but nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Um, <laughs> when you go come to other people's of,
2: funerals, so they go to yeah. yours. Yeah,
1: but <laughs> yeah. <When> you come <laughs> to a fork in the road, take <laughs> it right. <laughs> You know, of all of, of all of the ones that he's come up with, the we made the wrong mistakes was the most extraordinarily profound because he even classified stuff. He said, look, it wasn't necessarily the physical errors that we make, right? And I'm about to go to baseball practice with my son, and we emphasize this with them all of the time. It's not the physical errors. You're going to make errors. You're going to make a bad throw. You're, you're going to drop a ball. You're going to swing and miss, right? Th- those things are going to happen. That's, that's part of the game. Right? And baseballs of, of all the sports, is based on failure. Hell, the people who are in the Hall of Fame only get it right three out of ten times. Right, and So it's just absolutely incredible. Um, but what we emphasize is it's the mental mistakes. It's throwing to the wrong base. Even if you make a good throw, you throw to the wrong base. It's not hitting the cutoff, man, even if you make a throw. It's making a stupid base running mistake by not paying attention to what's going on. Right. right, these are the ones that kill you. These are the wrong mistakes. You can't help the physical ones, but you can help the mental. And another Yogi Berra is, quote is, "Half of baseball is ninety percent mental." Sure. Right, and and I think that this is such a profound thing. But Ron, you've got a great story that illustrates this—the wrong mistake from a firm that you encountered. What back in the eighties, nineties, nineties, yeah.
2: And just on that, Ed, I mean, you know, it's the same thing with the what the military says about the after action reviews. It's not so much we fail in execution, we fail in the assumptions that we make. And mm-hmm. isn't, isn't that, um, baseball makes a distinction, don't they, between a forced and an unforced air?
1: T- tennis, it, tennis, tennis, tennis does, tennis yeah. does,
2: right, right, sorry, tennis. Um, it, it's kind of an unforced air, isn't it?
1: Yeah. yeah. But that
2: can still be physical, and you're emphasizing. You're emphasizing more the mental.
1: Because in baseball, for example, the the example I use are throwing to the wrong base. You, if you throw to the wrong base, right, it's not going to be an error, right? Not going to get charged with an error. It's not a physical mistake. It's a mental mistake, right? Right, but it could have an impact on the game.
2: And 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 just on that that World Series that that never had happened before then, and it hasn't happened since. Is that is that right in terms of the total score? Oh,
1: I I would have to look, but I I would say that this has got to be in one of the top the top three of you know where where the losing team uh, scored coordinate. so many more runs
2: than right. than the other team. Yeah, fascinating. Well, I, you know, I, I I have a book of um, by Yogi Bear and it's you know full of those quotes <laughs> and that's where I got it. And when I read that, it was like, oh my god, that that applies to so much in terms of pricing because you know the only feedback that firms ever get on pricing is is tends to be negative right your price is too high and and they leave or or they they don't select you and yeah okay uh, but they're probably not going to tell you the real reason and what what i meant what what i tried to illustrate with that yogi quote was we're not you don't learn necessarily from the wrong mistakes because we keep repeating them and mm-hmm. there's no education in the you know the fourth kick of the mule type of thing right we just keep hourly billing, you keep repeating the same mistakes over and over. And, you know, I've been enamored with this idea of a TIP clause for a long time. And TIP, and this is apocryphal, but it supposedly stands for to ensure performance. And yes, I know, ensure it would be spelled with an E, but a TEP clause sounds stupid. <laughs> so, um, you know, the to ensure performance. And, and there's a behavioral economics reason why I like that TIP that word tip or that acronym acronym tip because it makes you think of what what's it automatically trigger in your head? 10% minimum 10 to 20 possibly. Right. Right. So it's kind of like it's an anchor buried inside of a, of a word. And uh, I use the tip clause a few times in, in when I practice as a CPA and experimented with it. And I started when I started teaching other people started using it and I'd start getting these, Feedback stories of of great tips but but nothing really illustrated it for for me better than um, a pricing workshop I did back in nineteen ninety seven for a large uh, regional firm, and I had the whole had the whole firm in this ballroom in a hotel somewhere and uh, the local office was hosting it, and the managing partner of that office was a guy named Tim. And Tim stood up and he told this story about his best customer came into him one day. And this is a 20 year relationship. I mean, they'd go to the ball games together. You know, their wives were friends, that, that type of just deep relationship that you develop over 20 years. And this guy comes to him, says, Tim, and I'm ready to enjoy, enjoy my golden years. I want to sell. It's time to sell. And, they tried to sell the business four or five years prior to that, but the guy had got cold feet and he, and he quit the process because he, he didn't think he was ready. But now, for sure, he was ready. And he told him, literally said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to update the business valuation so we put the business on the market at the right price. I want you to fly with me anywhere in the world. We have to go to meet with potential buyers, do the negotiation, be actively involved with the lawyers, doing the due diligence on the buyer on the sales contract so you can you know, make sure all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. I want you to do your tax planning magic so I can keep as much of my wealth away from Bill Clinton as possible because you know, Clinton was in office then. Um, and basically he just fired off a scope list, right? To Tim. And now one complicating factor for the CPAs in the audience is this was an audit client as well. So Tim was barred from taking a contingency price because that would impair independence. And they were the auditing firm and they did not resign from the audit. Now, in hindsight, I would have said resign from the audit, give it to another firm and do a contingency. You know, take a percent of tax saved or take a percent of the sales price, whatever. But they didn't do that. And so I I looked at Tim and he explained the story. And because of all these wonderful things that I just prattled off, Tim was able to save this client 15 million dollars because of his negotiation skills because of his tax planning skills and it's not that it's not that atypical right? almost any accountant could do this with some tax planning you know strategy and, and all that but still pretty substantial the, the customer was elated as Tim said that's his word and I said how'd you price it and he said well we did at our top consulting rate this is back in 1997 so we're talking 22 years ago 400 bucks an hour. And everybody who worked on that file, and I bet Ed, everybody who walked by that file billed <laughs> out at four hundred dollars an hour, including Oh look,
1: there's the file.
2: Yeah. yeah oh, okay. That yeah, the intern, you know, walks by the UPS guy comes in and charges an hour or so. In other words, he knew he couldn't lie enough on the timesheet to capture the value of what he was doing. And they charge all this time at four hundred bucks an hour. He looks at the deal after the after the deal was consummated and he looks at the whip and he says, "Oh this is not high enough and he marks it up twenty five percent and he sends out an invoice for thirty eight thousand dollars and the, and he said, we got paid immediately. And I'm like, yeah, I bet. You, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I bet you did. Because, you know, the guy was like, oh, my God, I wonder if this is a typo yeah. or so. Did he leave out a zero? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and and um, and I just looked at Tim and I said, well, what do you think would have happened if you would have had a tip clause? And and let me just, I know we've only got a couple of minutes before our break, but let me just read you a tip clause and we'll bury this in the show notes as well. but. The tip clause says something like this, in the event that we are able to satisfy your needs in a timely and professional manner, you have agreed to review the situation and decide whether in the sole discretion of customer, some additional payment to CPAs is appropriate in view of your overall satisfaction with the services rendered by CPAs. Notice that that's not contingent on anything except their right. satisfaction, right? Just like to ensure satisfaction, same same logic as a tip in a restaurant for great service, right? And I, I showed that tip clause up on the, the board, you know, on the PowerPoint. And I asked him, what do you think he would have paid you if you would have had a clause? At the outset, right. discussed right. in advance. And he thought about it literally for like a minute, which is a long time. And you know, scratching his chin, he said, he probably would have paid me a half a million dollars and remember he got 38 for this 38,000 and you and by his own admission he said 500 now i think that speaks volumes about tim's level of self esteem i think it would be a lot more than that because he just saved this client
1: all right and million. i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to cut yeah. you off
2: it's is this is beautiful I, I was going to do I, the I same
1: and i and i want to hear the end of this and i want to leave it till after the break so, uh, which is just a shoulder roll for everybody. So, you know, film at 11. All right. Um, we, but we want to be, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, but we remind remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or myself by sending an email to ask TSOE at Varisage.com. Please also visit the Patreon site, patreon.com slash TSOE where you can go and get our bonus episodes as well as the shows without commercial interruption. But right now we're going to interrupt you with commercials. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
3: Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE.
4: Have you ever read a book that changed your life?
2: And that Tim, you know, this Tim story from 1997. His name right? really
1: wasn't Tim, right? And, I mean, um, you changed it to protect the guilty. I hope.
2: Actually, I don't think I did. Oh no! Because okay. what I will tell you, what <laughs> I will tell you about this after I finish this. Um, so I asked him how much you would have ha- would have been paid by this 20 year relationship customer if he had a tip clause that they discussed before he did the work, and it's really important. And I want to emphasize right. that you've got to have this. It's part of the value conversation. He already knew what the objectives were. Sell the business for the best price possible. Do the best tax planning in the world, blah, 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 all of that. But you could still have to have that, okay, I'm going to do this, but we're just going to leave it up to you, Mr. Customer, to decide what it's worth. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he said $38,000 to me, I walked over to a flip chart because, of course, I didn't have this up on the um, PowerPoints yet. But, and I wrote, I said, well, Tim, you just made the ultimate accounting entry. And I wrote experience debit four hundred sixty two thousand cash credit four hundred sixty two thousand. Of course, the room <laughs> erupted with laughter. It was you know probably a really dumb thing to do, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, but he left four hundred sixty two thousand. And when I read the yogi quote, that's what made me think this is the wrong type of mistake because he's not going to learn from it if he ever repeats this type of engagement and and I'm not saying these engagements are typical, they're not, they're, they're atypical, but the point is they're so far up on the value curve that you've got to have a different pricing strategy in your pricing stack to be able to capture the value when these things do come up. And, you know, CPAs help customers sell businesses all the time or buy businesses that are their dream or, or whatever it might be. And, I said to Tim, I said, you paid a reverse risk premium. Yes, you've got your 400, actually $500 per hour. Because remember, he marked it up by a fourth, right? He well, marked that's it the up.
1: thing, right? He's going to go to the managing partner meeting and he's going to be hailed as a hero for getting 125% realization.
2: I, exactly. I, I, and I said, you know, you probably got the champagne popped and slaps on the back. Great job, Tim. And I said, but who's going to come in and throw a turd in the punch bowl and say, yeah, but where's the 462,000? In other words, the 462 doesn't show up anywhere on any accounting data. It doesn't show up on realization reports, cost accounting, timesheets, income statement. It shows up on the customer's income statement or in the customer's (laughs) profit. Um, But it, it, it just goes to show you. And the other point that's really important to make about this is I don't care how good your cost accounting is, and I don't even care how good your project management is, it wouldn't have been able to capture this level of value you've got to have a different pricing strategy. I, I equated it to arrows in a quiver. You pull out the right arrow to capture the value that you're, that you're creating for the particular situation. In this case, it's, it's stellar. Now, and, and, and Ed, you know, because you've you had to sit through the story so many times in live presentations, but have we ever been in an audience where we tell this story? I've never heard anybody say that the customer would have paid Tim less than 38000 no, never. So the risk he was taking in giving all of his pricing leverage over to the customer was pretty, was pretty small because no customer is going to especially a 20 year customer is going to insult Tim by giving him 10 grand saying, nice job, Tim. Here's 10 grand and you know, I'll buy your dinner. No, he's going to take really good care of them. So he paid a reverse risk premium and he yeah. left 462,000 on the table. And I also made the point if you would have captured that four sixty two what could you have done with that? First off, it would have dropped to the bottom line of the firm, no additional cost right? second, he could have spread spread it around with bonuses to the team who maybe worked you know maybe i am sure they pulled some weekends on this and you know, but you know, had to crunch it whatever yeah, he could have give out thousands of dollars of tips to the team who worked on this with him, but you don't get to do any of that at thirty eight thousand even though that thirty eight thousand is 125% realization, and it just just goes to show you how bogus the realization rate calculation is, and how unmoored it is from true profitability.
1: Well, it's, it's as our friend Reginald Lee would say: it's 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 you know trucks over. Apples or whatever.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's, <laughs> it's bad math. <laughs> it's bad math. Okay. Yeah. So you you, t- you take the thirty eight to divide it by whatever. What what? Okay. <laughs> it doesn't. It, the, the the two numbers aren't re- aren't related in any way. Especially when you throw in the the, the four uh, sixty eight or sixty two in there as well. Right. right. I mean, what, what would what would what would you do with that? Right. And, but here is the thing, Ron. I mean, you know, Tim's that w- was at the managing partner level. I have to think he said it was a fairly sizable firm. Yep. Right. Yep. I think that in a fairly sizable firm, one or two of those t- type opportunity comes up a year.
2: I bet. I bet they do.
1: Right. I, bet I mean, they do. not the exact same one, but something similar and, yep. well, I mean, in that size firm. What, what firm, even to this day, and 20 something years later, wouldn't, wouldn't love an additional half a million dollars to the bottom line. Right.
2: And Yeah. And, and when, when, when I, Sometimes you tell the story, and the audience pushes back a little and says, "Yeah, but he didn't know if he, you know how many trips around the world he was going to have to take." He did know. He knew this business was first off, incredibly profitable, very saleable, because they tried to sell it four years prior or five years prior, and they had buyers lined up. It had IP that still had you know patent life and copyright life. I mean, he knew a lot about this. It wasn't like he was walking into a black hole. Mm-hmm. not knowing what was going to be involved. He knew what was going to be involved, even probably before the customer laid out the scope of work for him and said, I want you to do the following things. He knew what was involved in this, and he would have been better off just leaving it up to the customer. But we're so paranoid, Ed. We, we want that cushy hammock of the billable hour, even if it's 125%. That feels better to us because it's certain. You know, It's a burden in the hand, right? But yet, look what we're giving up. We're, we're, we're picking up the pennies, but we're just leaving $100 bills scattered all over the place by bringing the wrong pricing strategy up the value. He used the same pricing strategy that he uses at the bottom of the value curve when he was at the top of the value curve. And that's, a, that's just a pricing mistake all the way around.
1: You know, and and we've had this conversation. In fact, this is in the last six months, this has come, come up. Some, somebody, it was one of our guests even mentioned to us, I, I forget who, we didn't go ape on him. But one of our guests said, well, you know, for that type high value work, I totally understand why you would bill by the hour.
2: <laughs> I, you know, I've been banging my spoon on my high chair about this in the last three weeks about it's precisely when there's a lot of uncertainty risk in an engagement that you need to run away from the billable hour the fastest because it's those engagements that have the potential for supernormal profits and windfall profits. You're not going to get that with an hourly rate, even if you lie and mark it up twenty five percent. And by the way, there's a whole ethical thing about marking that up twenty five percent that I think is, you know, very valid. It's unethical.
1: Just to mark it up for the sake of marking it up. Yeah
2: unethical. You, you, you agree you were going to charge by the hour and then all of a sudden you just mark it up by 25%. It, I mean, there's a whole ethics question there that, you know, no, I don't want
1: I agree. I agree. You know. But, well, um, talk a little bit. We have about five minutes left in this segment. So t- talk a little bit more about some other folks who, who, who have used this tip clause.
2: Probably the, the best example in terms of just getting these tips on a consistent basis in his practice is a guy named Peter Byers who owned the, uh, Uh, a buyer's and company in in the Bay of Islands in New Zealand. So it's the North Island of New Zealand. Beautiful. The Northern Island is really underrated of of New Zealand. Everybody goes to the South Island, right? Because that's where Oprah's house is and and all that. But the North is stunning. Um, But he's in a small town, 6,000, I think, is the population. And I met Peter in in New Zealand in the year 2000. I'll always remember it because he took us down to the – uh, the water in the, the uh, America's cup was going on or the, what is it called? The, you know, the cup, uh, the yacht yep, race, Ameri- America is the America's yep. Yeah. And it was the year 2000 and it was being held in Auckland. And anyway, since I've known him in 2000 and, and since my book came out in 2011, he had received $1.3 million in tips from various customers and I and and I think it he sold out his practice now, so he no longer practices. But I think his total tip ta- intake was about two something million dollars. Now that's New Zealand dollars. I don't know what the exchange rate is. Say sixty cents, whatever, to the dollar. But you know, do the math. Um, and but it's
1: on the North Island of New Zealand, right? In, we're a, not so-
2: in a town populated total population six thousand, two thirds of which were farmers. So it was a big part of his base was farmers. And he got tips for helping people sell their farms or even buy them because it was a dream. And when he wrote, um, he wrote a case study for me in, in my book, Implementing Value Pricing. And he talked about how his approach, his philosophy for receiving tips. He said, tips work best when there's a respect for the skill of each party. And it's a natural progression, he thinks, to a long-term relationship when there's a great deal of respect and trust for each other he says and i i love this ed i have never asked for a tip clause to be invoked as i do not believe that you are worthy of receiving a premium payment if you have to ask for it now that doesn't mean that he doesn't put a tip clause in or have the conversation around hey i'm just going to help you do this and you you can pay me what it's worth but after he does it he doesn't go back and say okay what's my tip you know he just does it's just a handshake type of thing Cause mm-hmm. that's just the way he does business. And he says the key to making the tip clause work to the benefit of both parties is to clearly define at the commencement of the project or assignment, the objectives and the anticipated timelines. He said, then you end up devoted, devoting your energies and skills to achieving more than the customer was thought thought was possible. And I love that line. And he said, the other thing that I loved, and I just thought this analogy was beautiful. He said, I liken the, this phase uh, to the relationship between old friends who have not spoken to each other for some time and who can continue their conversation where it left off, like, like you know, when they were last talking with one another. In other words, they can just pick, I mean, that's the kind of relationship. Now, I get asked all the time, well, what if, what if Tim, what if this was a new customer of Tim's? He only had him maybe for a year or even less than a year. Well, okay, you can put a tip clause with a minimum price. He could have said, okay, I'll do this for, you know, 50 grand plus tip. Right. You can you can mitigate your risk that way, but Peter Byers has gotten two million dollars worth of tips. He knows what he's talking about. Um, the other thing he points out in his case study is when he it because it was so open ended, because they were so focused on achieving the objectives, that if he had to bring in other parties for certain expertise, he would pay them. He said that way, they My firm was their customer. I got front of the queue. I got best service. They knew they were going to get paid. Nothing was contingent upon my customer paying me, he said, because I wanted to drive that and own that relationship. And I I think that's really important if you're bringing in third parties that maybe have expertise to help you do things that you can't do. Um, But it it just goes to show that we, we just leave all kinds of money on the table because we're stuck with one pricing model.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's, where, that's where, it, where it unravels. All right. Well, great stuff, Ron, against our next break here. We want to remind you, you can get a hold of us by sending an email to AskTSOE. Of course, the we do monitor the Twitter during the show. So at AskTSOE or hashtag AskTSOE, and we will take a look at those and perhaps even respond to you on the air as we're doing a live show today. But right now, a word from our sponsor.
3: For more information, visit sage.com forward slash U.S. forward slash S.O.E.
4: Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business
0: Network.
1: And we are talking the million dollar tip using a tip clause here, and we we haven't even gotten to that story yet, Ron. The million dollar tip clause we haven't gotten there yet. But I do want to ask you. I mentioned about you mentioning Tim as as like his real name, and you said that you yeah, you thought it was, and then you said, "Oh, but I," but there's something I got to tell you about that. I don't think you said what what was it?
2: What was uh, it? Well, after I wrote that cute little equation on the board, Tim was quite <laughs> pissed off at me, to say the least. <laughs> probably the only time that I've had my guarantee trigger pulled really he cut my pay for that workshop in half because he was so pissed off that I did that in front of his whole you know firm practically um Uh yeah he was not he was not at all happy with me so I paid a (laughs) price for that but it was worth
1: it (laughs) I, and, you if, know, here's the reality. You would have paid more, too, if he had a whole guarantee. I, it would if, still be worth the story.
2: <laughs> if, if I had to pay Tim royalties for every time I told that story, he would have made more than the half million dollars <laughs> that his customer would have paid him. Um,
1: uh, and how much better he would he have been if he had taken it in good humor, too,
2: by the way? I, yeah, and it's a learning. Learn
1: from it. All right.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and I just don't think you you learn from something like that if you if you do the next one the same way. So another um a, a great another great example out of this, and just to prove that this type of this type of pricing philosophy doesn't just apply to professional firms. Um, you remember the January nineteen ninety four Northridge California earthquake? No, I don't. It was pretty big. I I want to say it was an eight something eight one okay. or it's. it's mid sevens, high sevens, I forget exactly, but it was big. And anyway, it destroyed the Santa Monica freeway, Ah, devastated it. And there were, that's about 350,000 daily commuters didn't have access to Los Angeles. And of course, you know, the city came out and said, well, it's going to take 12 months to rebuild. It's going to cost about a million dollars for each day. The, you know, the freeway is shut down, right? Just a million dollar in hassle and other, you know, costs, so, this innovative constructor, C.C. Myers, saw the whole thing differently. He, he brought the tip philosophy to this. He thought it was a four-and-a-half-month project if they use certain innovations and work their butts off. So, he signs a $14.7 million contract with the city that allowed for 140 calendar days. So, roughly four-and-a-half months, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but... With a penalty, for late completion of two hundred and five grand per calendar day that he was late. But if he was early, he got two hundred thousand dollars per day for every day he was early. And so, what happened? So the mission is impossible. The approach is you got to change everything. The result spectacular. This kind of reminds me of the three and a half hour house. Yeah, that video yeah. that we show of the house being built three and a half hours. He commenced the job on February fifth. He had four hundred workmen working twenty four seven. They used on site inspectors because it was faster, and it, th- you can see. I think there's even photos or video of this. the The workers were just running on the job. I mean, sprinting and doing various things. Um, special quick setting concrete was used. All of these things. Uh, Sixty days after the contract was signed. The freeway was opened 74 days ahead of schedule. Nice. So $200,000. And I think that's how they got the the um, 14.7. I, I think that was in addition to the original contract. So anyway, no matter how the economics worked out, he knew he could get it done. And look at the alignment of incentives. Yeah. Did he take a risk? Yes. That's the whole point. Profit comes from risk. And if you want super normal profits or windfall profits, then you need to take risks like this.
1: Mm. And I bet there wasn't like, you know, five guys working or standing or standing around watching the one guy working, which is what I usually see on construction projects. With
2: Caltrans. I, I know. that Not only that, you know, they'll close the road for like six miles And then you'll finally get up there through the one lane and there'll be like nine guys standing on their shovel and somebody's, you know, trimming a bush and you're thinking, what, what are you doing? You know?
1: Um, Did he, I mean, I bet, did he have to like do something special with the unions? Did he avoid unions? I mean, there must be a lot to this story.
2: I think there is. And I've never really delved into the, the, the the nitty gritty of the details. I just picked it up out, out of a book that somebody wrote about it, but it was well publicized at the time because it was just so sure. remarkable how fast they did it. Yeah. So um, okay. a, a few other things on this, just because there are variations of this uh, this idea. One thing that I've seen other, especially uh, law firms use, is um, a value adjustment line. Every invoice they send out has got a value adjustment. I think uh, Pat Lamb at Valorum in Chicago does this. There's a firm in Seattle whose name escapes me, they, and I think they innovated the idea or is the first firm I saw that used it. But it basically says to the customer, here's the price, but, you know, make an adjustment up or down as you see fit. Now, I don't like that as much as the tip clause because I don't think you can get a tip for doing routine stuff. You know, maybe you can. I mean, Pat claims it's worked for him. He's had more write-ups than write-downs. Um, but that that is another variation on on the tip theme. Uh, granite Rock is another outfit that uses, um, a value adjustment line. It's a, it's a concrete cement company out here. And in fact, they're a Baldrige award winner and they use, um, it's called granite rock and they instituted what they called short pay, um, which is basically a line item veto to every customer that, Hey, if you're not satisfied for whatever reason, just pay us what you think it's worth. And, and that's it's the Christopher
1: not hard guarantee, or a little different.
2: A um, little bit different. Um, it, well, I, Chris, I didn't see this in Christopher Hart. I got this somewhere else. I got it from the Baldridge uh, Award thing. But the the thing that makes this interesting because this guy's in the business of selling things that are tangible. Obviously, mm-hmm. they don't have to right. give the product back. They can keep the product in short pay, and they can short pay to zero. But what this guy says is you can get a lot of information from customer surveys, but there are always ways of explaining away the data. With short pay, you absolutely have to pay attention to the data. You often don't know that the customer is upset until you lose that customer entirely. Short pay acts as an early warning system that forces you to adjust quickly long before we would lose that customer.
1: <laughs> it also might put crappy businesses out of business a lot quicker too cuz they get short paid on everything in which case they realize that they're doing a crappy job and maybe they should do something else
2: Ab- absolutely and and you know the, you, you see this with nordstrom and other these companies that have these great guarantees right and i remember being at a nordstrom university where somebody you know the instructor said hey we we take back things we don't even sell
1: the tires is the and, legendary yeah, well,
2: one yeah and and that's a true story by the way because they bought a store in alaska that used to sell you know it was like a general store and it sold tires uh, okay. and after Nordstrom, that's where that story comes from so there's some truth to that story um but you know my brother works there and they do take stuff back and they know what's it called wardrobing when you buy something wear it for you know fancy evening out bring it back bring you know, it back yeah um that that's part of it too and um somebody raised their hand in the audience you know one of these new hires and said well why do we do that people are just ripping us off and the instru- I'll never forget the instructor he said yeah he said maybe 2% of our customers rip us off. 98% of us of our customers love this policy and they pay us a premium price because of it across the board let, on everything. Yeah. Don't let the tail wag the dog is what he said. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was what a great answer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that is a great answer, and I mean that it, that gets back to to guarantees and all of that those things too. But we're really talking about this upside potential on the tip, and I think you know one of the things that I, you mentioned it briefly, you can sometimes structure these around. Hey, here's the minimum. You pay us thirty thousand dollars just to, well, just to get us started, right? Or guarantee our our capacity for right. the next couple of months or whatever, so that we and then and then everything else can be a tip. Right. right. And you got other names for it, too. It's retrospective price. Right. Yep. Success um, price. Success price. Uh, is there a third one or is that just a, those, those are two? I those think are that's the two a, yeah.
2: popular ones, because I know TIP has got, you know, it doesn't work internationally. You know, a TIP might not mean the same as on, in Australia as it does say here. Um, but a couple of our other colleagues, Ed, uh, specifically Dan Morris and Paul Kennedy in the UK and Dan Morris down here in Silicon Valley have used the tip clause to great effect. In fact, if we ever get Dan back on the show on video, he'll be wearing a Rolex watch probably. Mm -hmm. And that was a tip he got for doing this just spectacular overnight job for a customer. I mean, he literally had to pull in his firm uh, to pull an all night or to get something done for a customer that was a big deal to the customer's auction for a dream piece of land where his wife wanted to build a home. And they didn't even get it. They didn't get the property and he still bought Dan a Rolex because of what Dan did for him. Wow. Now this is a great customer and you know, but that just goes to show you that customers are going to take care of you. We, yeah. we just, you know, it's, it goes back to that whole thing of risk, right? We just need to run towards risk. When I see risk now, I try and think like an actuary, even though it's hard, but it's an opportunity. It's not a cost. It's not, Oh, we're going to take a bath on this. No, you're going to you've got tremendous upside.
1: Yeah, and far too many people see it the complete other way. I mean, and this is where it, where it fills into uh, Mars and in circles, which we I know we've done shows shows on that. Uh, understanding that, and you made this point up front, which I think is so crucial. Give yourself credit for knowing more than you think you know in these circumstances, especially if it's a longer term customer, right? Yep. The, yeah, okay. You don't know how, what it's going to take to sell this business, but as you said. He knew way more than he gave himself credit for, credit it. for it, was, it. It was almost a confidence thing, a, a self esteem yeah, issue as absolutely. well.
2: Absolutely. How can you? I mean, he's helped many other customers sell their businesses, whatever. And when I first started talking about this on the circuit, and I'd get people to call me or email me and say, Ron, I'm in the middle of this deal. The escrow's about to close. I'd really, I just read the tip clause. I'd really like to trigger a tip. And it was like, Did you talk about this before you did the work? And they'd say, no. And I said, well, then you're kind of stuck with the billable hour because, and and I've heard multiple stories that the customer would ask when they did bring up the tip conversation, well, how many hours did you spend? Well, if you're billing by the hour, that's where you're stuck in. That's right. why we need to change the conversation. So you've got to have this discussion right. up front. And see,
1: and see the previous show where we get, want to get rid of timesheets uh, at Aura Labellum Delenda S. So you can say, I don't, I don't keep track.
2: I don't even care. I don't keep track. And and I you know, I've been thinking about that because we got some feedback on that show, Ed. And um I, I, I just feel more strongly than ever that we are what we measure. And that's why those timesheets need to go, because they're just the wrong measure.
1: Okay. Well, running full circle. Maybe we'll we'll talk about that after the break. Our final break here. I wanna remind you that you can contact Ron or me. The email is asktsoe at verisage.com. Lots of show notes available out at the soul of enterprise.com and well as well as previews to upcoming shows. I uh, want to let you know that the calendar page is also, I think, mostly up to date. I mean, really, especially with the stuff that's coming up in the short term. We do have an event in Chicago and it's not too late. You can still sign up for that if you are available the last, uh, last week in, Chicago, in, in April, early May. It's the, it's the uh, 30th of April and May 1st. Ron and I will be in Chicago talking about subscription-based economy and moving from selling fire, uh, fire from firefighting to fire insurance. But not now a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
3: your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash U.S. forward slash S.O.E.
4: Have you ever read a book that changed your life?
2: All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the million-dollar tip, using a tip clause effectively. And, Ed, I need to tell the million-dollar tip story.
0: Uh, (laughs) Yeah. That that would
2: kind of help. Um, So, Gus Stearns is a partner in a Dallas CPA firm. In fact, I believe it was a two-partner firm that um, came up to me on September 25th of 2000 at a Las Vegas conference. Now, I always remember the date because it's my birthday. And he, he came up to me and said, Mr. Retirement. And then he brought me over to the bar, bought me a glass of wine, really nice one, by the way, because he knew I lived in wine country and I liked wine. And I can't remember if I had met Gus at a prior, this was a results accountant system back in Paul Dunn and Rick Payne days. I might've met him at a prior conference or he might've saw saw me speak at an event for them prior to this 2000 date, or he just read my book. But he proceeded to tell me this story. He said, once I read the tip clause in your book, and this would be the first book, um, he said, I was working on this massive engagement. And I don't want to get into the complexity of this because it was incredibly complex. But suffice it to say, it was, um, he had a current customer trying to get out of their business, sell it to a new owners. And there was an ESOP, you know, employee pension plan involved. And that, that kind of complicates everything. And he was trying to take a certain tax position would save a ton of money and required a private letter ruling from the IRS. That's when you go before the IRS and say, this is what we're trying to do. Here's our interpretation of the law. Do you guys agree? So it's kind of like a preemptory, you know, make sure that. Don't whatever, audit you, us. It, it, right, yeah, Don't audit us because you gave us uh, the green light to do this. And, and and I asked them right up front. I said, well, what, what were the chances that, what was the probability the IRS was going to see things your way He said it was probably 70-30 that they would see things our way, right? So there was a good chance here. This is one of those risky situations where you don't know. And, of course, if they don't see it his way, he's not bringing as as much value, Hmm. right? Um, So he does this engagement, and he's got $180 an hour hourly rate. And it's about 100 hours. And phase one of this project is about 180 grand. But then he reads the tip clause. And so he has a meeting with the customer and he says, look, he says, I I don't know what value to put on this. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of risk. Um, Why don't I just do this, do whatever it takes, and we'll just, I'll just leave it up to you guys to to put a value on it. So, and I've got these emails and we'll put this in the show show notes, but he basically um, the CEO of the new company said, "Well, this is great. you know we and we want and they brought him on as in some type of role. They put him on the board they they gave him a salary so they could have him participate in the company pension plan. so suffice it to say it was not an audit client. Independence wasn 't an issue at all here for the cPA and bottom line is they gave him four hundred thousand dollars down. they gave him a retainer of four grand a month." <laughs> They gave him a salary, they put him in the pension plan, contributed 25% to the direct contribution pension plan. He said, you add it all up, it's a little over a million bucks. It's like 1.1 million for a job that I was going to be paid 180 grand for. And, and be quite happy, by the way, at 180 right. grand, right? Big job, you know, mm-hmm. um, the IRS did see it his way, by the way. But I mean, that's a $920,000 tip. <laughs> and, and, and I said, what, what did you think when you heard the the customer come up with this compensation plan? Cause so I was just blown away. So I would have never thought I was worth that much. And it just goes to show how much of this, it, that's why we like to say, Ed, there's great nobility in being paid what you're worth by nobility. I kind of mean self-esteem, right? I mean, there's, you know, you're worth it. You know, you're good and high pay reflects that. And we're so scared of that as professionals. And then, you know, people say, well, you're gouging. How can you be gouging if the customer determines the price?
1: Yeah. And and by the way, one of the things I often relate this portion of this conversation to is back to David Meister's book, The Trusted Advisor, right? And the overuse of this phrase. I think we've done a show on this, Stop with a Trusted Advisor, right? And specifically because of this, one of the elements I think there are four elements that Maester lays out as this is you know when you've gotten to trusted advisorhood, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Is is varied creative pricing. That's one of the elements yep. that he says is required. And yet, you know, we have got all of these firms screaming about how we're the trusted advisor, blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah, well, how many times have you done tip clauses? What's a tip clause?
2: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it 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 goes to show you how you know just like a firm has a technology stack, right? We need a pricing stack. We need different pricing strategies to to be able to capture a fair portion of the value that we're creating. Mm-hmm. And the tip clause is one of those. And you know, it 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 is an exception. It's not the rule. But I I don't know of a CPA who doesn't have the potential at some point in their career to be compensated with a tip clause.
1: I, and, I'm, and I was th- actually, when you were talking about that earlier, I was thinking about this. And when I said, remember, I talked about a fairly sizable firm and this would happen once or twice a year with them. And like, all right, just as an individual, right? If I just ha- was a sole proprietor, how often would I expect something like this to come up in my practice? And I got to say that the, the worst case that I, or I guess it would be worst case, would be once every four years. Yeah. But, That's, I mean, that's just kind of my gut to say that once every four years, something would present itself that would allow uh, me. And here's what I'm sort of basing this on. And, you know, this is not, not a mystery. I've done uh, private engagements that are not related to, to my work at Sage with other, with other folks. I've done a couple of them with you. Right. And on some of these engagements, I've, I've gotten tips and I, what in, in both all of these cases that I've gotten I wouldn't even ask it I mean it wasn't even put built into the price and I just got stuff they're just like yeah that was really great you know we're just gonna do this for you yeah no. right I, and that's happened and I don't do all that many custom engagements like it's <laughs> so, you right, know right. one off here and there right
2: yeah so, that's why I think you need to be doing something extraordinary. You know, people say, well, can I just put this tip clause in my engagement letter? I said, you're not going to get a tip for doing a payroll tax return. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. Well, but, we, but you you say that and I agree, but I just, I want to be careful here
1: because it almost runs counter to what you said earlier. Sometimes what we consider extraordinary and what the customer considers extraordinary might be two different things.
2: True. True. I, I just, I I do think it's, I should say extraordinary, maybe just when it, the circumstances warrant a tip. I mean, maybe there's a circumstance where payroll return might warrant a tip. I don't know. But, but point being com-
1: compliance, the mundane might be a better way to describe it. Right. 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 But, the, but the something
2: pr- That's, that's yeah. routine, predictable. You know, this is from the of- customer
1: side. Right. From the customer side. Right. Right. Because that's the other thing that people mistake too, is they think that what we do, that they do have, has value. And it doesn't just because, you know, well, it took me 10 hours to do that tax return. Well, who the hell cares?
2: Right. Right. Exactly. I, you know, I can tell you when you told, uh, when you just said that about, you know, you've, you've gotten a few tips over your uh, course of some work. I, I, did, I remember doing a program with Tim in Sedona, I believe, for a uh, advertising agency Tim Williams now, not Tim, the managing partner who... Right, no, not not Tim, the managing partner, (laughs) Tim Williams, um, Verisage colleague, who we had on a couple of times. And we tried something pretty innovative with this group. It was a group of about, I want to say maybe a hundred people. And we just said, look, and, and, you know, because it was an association, that means, you know, probably 50 firms are in the audience, right? Maybe a couple from each firm type of thing. And we just said, look, we'll just... um, have people fill out on a piece of paper what it was worth to their firm for our day workshop. I think it was, or it might've been a half day. I forget. And Ed was one of the greatest jobs I've ever done in terms of reward. I mean, it was massive, but it, you know, how would we know if they were going to write a dollar, you know, but nobody did when we added them up and they tallied them up, the average and the median were really good, much more than we would have asked for um, without that. So it yeah. works. You just got to gotta feel good about it. You got to have a good relationship with the customer, and you have to discuss it up front. I can't emphasize that enough. You no, I think that's the most it.
1: crucial thing.
2: Yeah, just like yeah, the value you conversation.
1: Yeah, you can't be retrospective about the retrospective tip clause. That's, you
2: can't. You can't. Uh,
1: all right, well, Ron, what do we got coming on next week?
2: <laughs> Ed, Free Rider Friday for the month of April.
1: Oh my gosh. It seems like really we didn't, we just do a free rider
2: Friday feels like it. It sure does. I'm looking forward to it though.
1: All right. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours. Sounds good. This has been the soul of enterprise business and the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific time. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us on our website at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.